he's made mistakes, including one from that very day, actually, so that you know we all mess up from time to time. So huge hello and welcome to author Kate Schatz, who's not only an author, but an activist, educator, and queer feminist mama who's been talking, writing, and teaching about race, gender, social justice, and equity for so many years. Yes. And she is also an incredible person who wrote a blurb in support of our book, Dear White Women, Let's Get Uncomfortable Talking About Racism, and showed up in person to host our book launch tour in San Francisco. So if you've got kids, go buy her Rad Women book series. And now go buy the workbook she co-authored with next week's guest, Kamau Bell. And it's called Do the Work, an anti-racist activity book, uh, which P.S. I just found in the library. I posted that to social media. But yeah, it is much better to buy your own copy so that you can write all throughout it. It's really an interactive workbook that really makes it engaging. So listen in to learn about what she's hearing from white women, what sorts of mistakes she's made, especially white women. Listen up because we all make mistakes. So get over it and go do the work and listen to how you can use this workbook in your own life. Welcome to the Dear White Women podcast, the show that helps white women use their privilege to uproot systemic racism without centering themselves in the process. We're your biracial Japanese and white hosts, Sarah and me, Sasha. So we spoke a lot about white women, obviously our target audience, you know, at our book launch event. I would love to hear what are the biggest pushbacks you keep hearing from white women on this work? You know, I want to say that I have been in a pretty insular space since we had that conversation, because I've been just really working on this book. And, you know, honestly, I guess what I want to say is I haven't been getting a lot of pushback, but I'm sure that I will now that this book is out in the world. And now that I'm actually going to be out talking about it, you know, I think the pushback that I do hear and get is a lot of like, ugh, but I'm so tired. And I think, so I'd say what I'm hearing more of right now is less pushback and more of just a genuine fatigue and just sadness and sorrow and kind of hopelessness about what's going on in the world, right? This feeling of a lot of, from a lot of people like, but I did all this stuff already. I've been making the phone calls and I went to the marches and they still overturned Roe v. Wade. Like what the hell? So it's a little, I think what I hear in my circles is more of just a real demoralized, defeated vibe, which I get, and I share that. And I, you know, I don't want to be too Pollyanna about like, we can still do stuff. Um, But that's a lot of what I hear. When you hear that, and also when you're experiencing that, what are the things that you think help get us continue to focus on not just women's issues like Roe v. Wade and that sort of thing, but also keeping our eye on anti-racism work? Yeah, I just, I mean, I'm going to constantly be just turning to history and, and trying to redirect people to the bigger picture here. And yeah, absolutely sucks. And it is a reminder of why we do this work and why it has to keep going. The other side is real organized. They're working hard. They're really doing the work. And we need to be too. So like, it's hard, and it's a long slog. But I do look to history, because it shows us how these cycles work. I think we are smack dab, or even at the beginning of the smack dab, of an enormous significant backlash to the Obama years, to a time that felt like the beginning of the 21st century, and a lot of kind of social progress, we're in the backlash. And you know, you don't have to be like a PhD in history to look back through, you know, how that has functioned and how backlash, especially around race, has functioned. I was writing an op-ed for Time, and I got 
so in the weeds about looking back generationally, how like every 50 years we have had these enormous transformational times around racial justice, as well as like devastating pushback. I won't go into it because it's like so in the weeds and geeky, but I was like, oh my God, like it's like clockwork. And like we're 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 in it right now. So the point is we will move out of it. And then the question is, how do we move out of it? As and what does it look like when we do move out of it? Like what do we bring with us and what do we create? I appreciate all of that. And one of the things that we like about you is how you are also very human and you bring your personal experience to the table. And sometimes when we're going through big changes, people are like, well, but what if I make a mistake? I don't want to make a mistake. So could you share with us, because we are like, you're always going to make mistakes. We're all going to screw up. What are one of the mistakes that you think you could share with us, maybe in your partnership with Kamal Bell or anybody else that you've been working with recently? How about like earlier today when I was like on an interview with a radio host, a black woman who was, you know, saying, wrapping up our interview and she's going, and we just need to keep talking and we need to keep having conversations. And then I fully just interrupted her and was like, and we need to listen. What we need to do is listen. I was like, I just interrupted you to tell everybody how we need to listen. And I'm just going to make a point of how I did that. And we're going to move on. <laughs> I mean, look, in the scheme of things, that was like, you know, a small moment, but it wasn't, you know, yeah, I still do stuff like that all the time. And yeah, I mean, I could come up with all kinds of other examples, you know, for you of, of times that I've, you know, and I think one example, and I won't go too far into it, but I had I was in a relationship in an organizing capacity with a group of people several years ago. And there was a black woman in the group who I knew we were acquaintances. We were not good friends. And we had some conflict around another friend who was also a woman of color. And I learned that this woman had felt that I was problematic. She was upset by something I'd said that was in defense of this other person. She felt offended and I couldn't handle it. I was so upset that she thought I had wronged her. And I felt like I was defending this other woman. And I really wanted to reach out to her and talk about it and process it. And she was like, and this was in in 2017, it was right post Trump, everyone was very fragile. And she was like, No, thank you. I don't want to be in contact with you anymore. I'm pretty done. And I was like, but like, you know, and I had this like, no, but if only we could talk, I could really explain. And finally, and I, you know, I reached out again and she was like, I said, no, like, no, thank you. I'm just done for right now. That was really hard for me because I felt very justified in what I had said and how it had gone down. And I really wanted to explain. And finally her partner reached out to me who was a friend and very diplomatically was like, you just need to know that she's just done with you right now. She doesn't want to deal with white women. She's done. And I was like, okay. I get it. I hear you. And I had to let that go. And that kind of like over eager, like, ah, I've got to like talk to them and like show them I'm I'm a good person. That was really a strong drive in me. And I had to really suck it up and be like, okay, that one's done. And uh, I didn't bother her. She ever wants to come talk to me, it'd be great, but I let that one go. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. I think as Sarah mentioned, that's something that we get asked a lot. And I think that people don't even share the mistakes that they've made along the way for fear of, you know, how that sits with us as we retell it. But it's so, so important in doing this work. So I really appreciate you sharing that story. You know, as I was reading Do the Work, I kept thinking about, you know, how do we take this, the work from the workbook, right, and move it into 
our daily lives, right? So I'm curious, what's your sort of living vision for this workbook? So a person buys your book and then what do they do after they read it? And then what do they do the day after that? You know, I mean, if anything, I hope, I mean, I just, I hope it gets, makes people feel curious. I hope it sparks some ideas. I hope it maybe makes them see that there's some stuff that they're already doing that they didn't think of as activism or at work, but that they're already doing. And I hope that it, I mean, I'd like it to create habits and patterns for people. You know, I mean, we do a lot in the book around like, how can you put this on your Google calendar? Like make your activism a habit, you know? And I think I just want people to come away with also a sense of like expansiveness of like, oh, there are more possibilities for change making than I'd realized. And then they can fill in those blanks. Like I'm, you know, we can't tell you everything. We can give a whole bunch of ideas, but I also hope that in that spread of ideas, you realize things that we didn't mention, right? Because we're not in your life. You know, you might think of other things. You'd be like, oh, I could be doing that. So I guess that's my hope for how people take it into the real world. I love that because it's really like a starting place, right? And tools that we're giving that you or and Kamal Bell are giving people to then make that part of their reality and the habits. I love the habits idea. And, you know, I also wanted to ask, I really loved the dialogue between the two of you throughout the workbook. And why was that important to include? I think one, we just wanted to model like what conversation can look like. No, I think I think a lot about modeling as an educator and as a parent. You know, what am I modeling? What are my kids seeing me do? You know, what are other people seeing me do? And I thought that, you know, for us, because so much of our actual friendship and our planning of the book is us just talking back and forth. And we wanted that to be on the page because I think it also, it makes the book feel a little more intimate. So it's less like we're talking at you. And being like, here's what you need to do. Here's all of our brilliant ideas. It feels conversational. And again, we model like difficult moments. I try to model like what it looks like for a white person to just listen without interrupting, (laughs) you know, and how to just kind of be present and hear somebody talk about something really hard. And it also let us, you know, kind of be funny, which we both clearly like to do. And then it also, again, felt like a thread, like we wanted it to be this book with all these activities, but we wanted there to be something that was connecting it together. And we're an interracial team of writers. So to write in one singular voice, like to use like a we didn't feel right. It didn't feel he's a man, I'm a woman, we have very different life experiences. So that was our way for us to both use our voice and have it feel like authentic. Well, in the interest of time, anything else? that we didn't ask, but that you think is really important for people to know? I do always want to point out with the book that I feel we talk a lot about like leveraging your privilege and being effective in your lane, right? Whether that's your workplace, your community. And we really tried to leverage our privilege as authors and people with a big platform in every step of the way with this book. So we actually wrote it into our contract that we wanted to hire a black graphic designer to design the book. Um, We wanted to have a Black woman editor on the editorial team. We stipulated in the contract that all of the art and illustration would be done by artists and illustrators of color. The font design that we used is by a Black typographer. We insisted that everybody who consulted be paid their going rate or above. So there was a lot that we did on the back end of just even putting the book together. And there were a lot of moments where the publisher would be like, okay, well, do you know of any black graphic designers? And I was like, one second, hold the phone, research, research, call, call, call. Yes, here's a list of 20 fantastic people. 
we're going to hire one of them. Now you have 19 other people to share out with your network. So that was something that I think can be applied in some way to a lot of workplaces and fields. You know, how do you actually open the door and create opportunity and not just like in a tokenized, like, you know, (laughs) take your black friend to work day, but like in an actual substantial way when you are in a position of power in a workplace. Love that. Love the intentionality behind it and the integrity through and through. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. Thank you. I'm glad to see you. And yes, please be in touch. I'd love to come back and we can talk for much longer. That sounds great. You've just listened to the Dear White Women podcast with your hosts, Sarah and me, Sasha. Yes, we're on social media. And yes, you can hire us to do talks about our book. But the biggest thing, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter to receive our free materials. Head over to DearWhiteWomen.com to get on the list.